Hello, and welcome to Real Estate Investing Deal Deep Dive. I'm your host, Jeremy. The Deal Deep Dive offers lessons learned from Canadian investors while scaling their portfolios. If you're looking to scale your investments, listen to stories from those who have already been there and what they did in your shoes. Dustin, welcome to the show. Hey, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, just before we get started, for all the listeners afterwards here, I am feeling a little bit under the weather. If you do hear a few coughs, I do apologize. We are going to tr- do our best to try and edit that out, but th- there might be some sounds in there still. So, Dustin, for those listeners who don't know, who are you and how did you get started in real estate investing? Yeah, so my name is Dustin Racine. I'm a flipper and a realtor with EXP Realty. I started, it's a bit of a long story. So, initially, out of high school, I got my plumbing certificate, became a journeyman plumber gas fitter. I started my own company, which strangely enough, I called Built with Pride Construction. I, I kind of left the door open because I knew I wanted to transition into. So eventually, I actually had a friend whose landlord wanted to renovate a house in Redwater, Alberta, of all places, which is about 45 minutes north of Edmonton, for those who don't know. So I took that on. Didn't make much, you know, try to get your foot in the door. Don't exactly know the cost of things yet, but I enjoyed it. I, I took a lot more joy out of out of that. Plumbing's good, but it was nice to see a house transition from start to finish and take something ugly and outdated and make it fresh and new and something you can be proud of. So after that, I, I kind of transitioned and focused more on the renovations business and contracting and did some suites for actually the first client I had. I did a suite for it was a realtor. And I thought, hey, this is this is great. This guy's got tenants in his basement, tenants upstairs. He's cash flowing. You know, he's even after paying me, he refinanced and got the bulk of his money out. And I'm like, this is a pretty good gig. So I said, why why can't I do this? So did a few joint ventures, then eventually went on my own doing flips and suites and kind of grew step by step. And then eventually I was usually sending the deals to my agent and he was making the money. So I said, you know what, I'm going to get my realtor's license too and try to keep keep it in-house. So yeah, the plan now is just grow the real estate business and become a realtor full-time. And then on the side, I'll still be doing the odd flip here and there just to keep it interesting and, and fresh. It sounds fair. Just for some context here, here, when did you start being a contractor? 2011, I, I opened a company built with Pride Construction. Sounds fair. And when did you get your realtor's license? Just a month ago. I have been like dabbling in real estate for, for years, right? I've, I like trying to find the deals, even, even when I didn't have the funds or they were tied up in something else. I'd always be on realtor.ca, Kijiji marketplace, looking, looking for deals. And if I can act on it, I'd be sending it to, to friends and family and other investors I know. So it's kind of a perfect, perfect fit. I knew eventually I want to get into real estate full time and, and help investors and, and find deals. And even I enjoy the back and forth too, rating out deals and offers and counter offers. It's, it's fun. <laughs> it sounds cool. Now we are recording this in the winter of 2022, just for everyone who is listening afterwards, just, just to give people some context here. Mm-hmm. Now, I've actually been very pleased with some of those deals that you've sent me, by the way, that one bungalow Thanks. in the Duke guys is looking at, I'm like, oh man, this wouldn't quite work, but mm-hmm. that's why there's negotiations. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a good deal. Some value there. What are some of the, the ways that you find actually help with when negotiating a good So it kind of, you have to play it by ear. It depends on the situation. 
So I'll preference this by saying when the market's hot and there's a smoking deal and you got multiple offers, you need a clean offer. You got to go in aggressive and the less conditions, the better, more likelihood of you obviously getting it. On the flip side though, we're, when we're in a market like we are, if you can put a home inspection condition, and I always view a home inspection as more of a tool for leverage for further negotiations. It's really a win-win. I mean, I know they cost eight, 900 bucks, but you know, scope the sewer too, though to doubt. I always recommend that because you don't want surprises. And if you go in blind, don't scoop, scope the sewer and spend the 200 bucks. You could have a $15,000 bill on your hands for a new sewer line. But yeah, what I like to do is in the off chance, which never happens because there's always something wrong with these old houses, but in the off chance that everything's perfect, you got peace of mind, you know what you're getting into. There's going to be no surprises, but I would rather have a due diligence period and if there are any repairs, negotiate that and make sure we can get the money off needed to repair it. Anything over and above is a bonus, but especially in the investing sphere, right? You got to look after your your client's best interest first and foremost. I'm not in it to do one deal. You know, if I if I sell a a house to a client, it doesn't go well, they won't be contacting me again. They'll be one and done. So integrity is a huge part that's kind of what i base my business around and having my client's best interests at, at hand instead of my own i want to build a long-term relationship right based on trust and i think that goes a long way absolutely the best businesses are based completely on relationships so yeah absolutely i'm glad to hear you bring that up thank you so we'll hop into our first segment here what's the best sure. deal you've ever done what was the plan and what went right or wrong yeah, so two come to mind. Just to rewind the clock, when I was 21, my then girlfriend, now wife, she was she was 19, about to turn 20. And we didn't know much about real estate, but we knew we wanted to, to buy a house. And I was living at home and rent was cheap, so I was able to put some money away pretty quick. And I was you know, working seven days a week. I'd drywall Monday to Friday and then do security on the weekend. So I didn't have time to spend money. But anyway, we all of a sudden this little house popped up in Beverly, not the best area, but it was a couple blocks from my grandparents' place. So we went and checked it out and we're just kids and put an offer in and got it. And this was right before the boom when things went crazy. So fast forward a month, we get the keys. The realtor was actually the owner and he hands me the keys and said, oh, you already have equity built into this. I should have waited a little longer to sell it. And I said, what's equity? And he said, well, it, the house is worth more now than, than what you paid even a couple months ago. So I said, okay, cool. So we put a, a renter in the basement for a couple of years and we actually set her money aside and that ended up paying for our wedding a few years later, which was cool. But then eventually we sold it. So we owned that house for three years, bought it for 147, sold it for 247 and then ended up, I wasn't too smart. I was a late bloomer. I took that money and bought a lot. Oats past Gibbons and a subdivision paid cash bought an acreage lot and then built a house on it and I don't know why in my head I had this idea of the perfect life and the, the wife and the kids on the acreage right and then I had to buy a, a quad and lawn track and a snowmobile and eventually make a short story long I uh, was like I'm not really getting ahead here I'm just making money and spending money and then I had this mental mind shift after that and in hindsight what I probably should have done is kept that house rented it out refinanced and then bought another home and maybe put a suite in the basement and uh, it's just the two of us at the time my wife and I we could have lived in the basement and rented out upstairs and 
our bills probably would have been covered or close to it, but hindsight, right? Better late than never. So eventually I got smart and I guess how to lead in on my, my second best deal. So we, we built this acreage and then a lot came up just down the road, same subdivision. It was beautiful. It was right on the lake, not a, called Lily Lake. It's more of a glorified slough. It's not a, it's not Wobbleman, but you can still kayak in it. You can canoe. We had a paddle boat and stuff. So that was cool. But anyway, this, this lot comes up and actually it was a builder. I did his plumbing in Gibbons. He told me about it because his niece is an agent. And he said, oh, there's this great lot just down from your place. And I'd hop on it, but my money's tied up in, in other houses. And I said, oh, I'm going to check it out. So I don't even think they had the sign out yet. I pulled it up on MLS and they were asking 55K. I think the agent was a city agent and he just used the appraised value. And that lot probably should have been 90 grand conservatively. So I hopped all over it, called the agent. And he said, well, the owners, they're out of town right now and they're older, so they don't do DocuSign. Why don't we reconvene Monday? I think this, and I think this was on a Friday and I was, I wasn't happy. I said, no, no, I want to get this under contract, get this, get this done and tied up. So we went and met at his office, signed the papers, ended up getting it for 50K and um, yeah, piled onto it for a couple of years and then eventually built an acre or built a house about an 1800 square foot bungalow. I did a, a self build, did a bunch of the work myself just to save money. And a side note, for those who don't know, there aren't many banks who do construction mortgages on self builds. The only ones I know of are ATB and service. And so we went with ATB and they were great. Another benefit with ATB is they'll do on land, they'll do 75% loan to value. Whereas most lenders will only do 50 little tidbit for anyone who's thinking of doing a, a self-build. But yeah, I had a spreadsheet. I was tracking all my expenses and we were into that house for 430 with the land and everything. We lived there a couple of years and then we sold it for 580. So that was, that was a nice cash out. And obviously it's all tax free because it was our personal residence. So yeah, that helped a lot. And then after that, I finally got smart and started taking that money and investing it instead of spending it. That is awesome. I, I want to break down some of the things that you, you have mentioned here. What is a self-build? Basically, it's when you're your own contractor. So you're looking after And the, the hardest part is that I didn't mind the build so much. I actually found new builds in a lot of ways are easier than renos and, and doing suites on these like 1960s bungalows because there's a process. There's a step-by-step -step process and there's far less headaches. Everything's new. So, I mean, it, it took me about eight, nine months start to finish, but I actually found it the most stressful part was dealing with the bank because like any lender, you, you'd hit certain stages and you'd be do a draw and they send out an appraiser. And I found that the appraisals as you're going through, they had a, the first draw was lockup stage, they called it. So you had to have your framing done, your doors on, your foundation poured, weeping tile, backfilled, services to the house. So you need, you do need some money on the sidelines just to get you through the draw stages because they'll be ultra conservative with their appraisals throughout the whole process because they don't want to put themselves at a disadvantage. And then they kind of backload it. So that last, when you're finally done, you get a nice big chunk at the end, but you do just so people are aware you got to have some money on the sidelines to do a self build. In the end, it's worth it, especially if you're doing some of the work yourself, you can gain a lot of equity, but yeah, just be prepared and have some money on the sidelines just in case. 
do you have a rough rule of thumb on how much money should be on the side? I guess it depends on the, the scope and, and what the project is going to cost. I would say, I'd say 25, 30% of your all in cost, at least with a new home, have 25 to 30% of that in, in cash. Are you, whether even a HELOC, right? If you can refinance your existing home, as long as you got access to those funds and quick access to those funds, that's the biggest thing. New home warranty is another thing. When you do a self-build, you got to register for new home warranty. There's a few different options they give you, but essentially you have to give a, a big deposit. They hold it for a, a certain term. And then once there's no no issues, no defects, you you get a portion of that back, the bulk majority of it. Whereas if you hire a builder, it's it's a lot less headaches, less money up front. Obviously, you just do your down payment. Then at the end, when they're done, you just roll it up into a traditional mortgage with an eight lender. But yeah, if you can do a do a self, I'd recommend it. But I know the city's pretty sticky about them, right? But this was this was out on an acreage, so whole another story. Slightly less restrictive. Yeah, absolutely. It's wild west out there. It sounds fair. So looking back on it, what would you do differently on the self-build deal? Not a whole lot. It went well. I don't think I do a whole lot. There what actually one thing I would do different, I did my own cistern which in hindsight wasn't the smartest thing. You know, I'm like, I'm a plumber. I can, I can install a cistern, right? So I had my excavator dug the hole. We had a company come out, they'll deliver the, the tank to you and drop it in the hole. But what I didn't do is to kind of try to paint a picture. So there's an outlet. It's basically encased in concrete and there's some brass threads in the cistern. So you put a fitting on there and then that's your water. It's called a barb fitting. So you screw this fitting in, attach your hose, run it under the footing into your house. So what I did was this, this outlet, these threads were about a foot off the ground. So I hooked my, my pipe up to it, ran in the house, right? <clears throat> well, I found out after we moved in, the line had actually sheared off. So what I should have done is put a 90 and run the pipe to the bottom of my excavation and, and then run it to the house. Because what happens is all that excavated earth, it's, there's a void now. So once you backfill, all the pressure of that earth is, is sitting on that pipe and it, it sheared it off. So that was a lesson learned, right? I'm trying to save money and I kind of shot myself in the foot. So about a week in, all of a sudden we had no water and I'm like, well, what's going on? I checked the pump, pumps working. So I called the, a guy out I know when he excavated and said, who did this cistern? And I said, oh yeah, that'd be me. And he said, well, next time call me. And if you are going to do it yourself, make sure that you 90 directly out of the cistern down at the bottom of your excavation and run your pipe along there. That's one thing I, I wouldn't do that again. I'd probably just hire the pros. That sounds fair. For all the city dwellers, what is a cistern? Cistern is basically a holding tank for your water, basically a concrete tank in the ground and call a delivery truck and they bring your water out to you it's got a low level alarm so you know when you're you can set the float to whatever you want easy 25 percent, and then that way when you do run out of water you get an alarm and you still have three or four days of, of water left yeah and then you call the water guy you can haul it yourself too but by the time you buy a three-quarter ton truck a trailer and a holding tank probably better just call call somebody growing up i really wish we had an alarm like you did 
Yeah, right. What did you guys do? Did you take the long stick and put it down and see where the, the water level was? Yeah, I, yeah. I tried to get a little smarter in my teenage years and bring a flashlight, and it didn't work any any well, or ah, any well. Anyways, so I went back to the stick method. So yeah, it's not fun, especially when it's minus thirty in middle of winter. Dad's mm-hmm. going, hey Jeremy, go check the sister and see if we need water yet. What was really fun is one year my brother was learning how to do snow removal and he pushed mm-hmm. all we, we have a great big driveway growing up and he mm-hmm. went and put all the snow on top of the top of the cistern. So oh, I no. I had to shovel my way to the cistern in order to try and dip the stick and mm-hmm. like everything was frozen over and all ice and I'm I'm trying to chip at this so I can see if we have enough water. Yeah, it's good times. You good think times. he did it out of spite? Maybe he tried to make it seem like an accident. He was he was eleven or twelve. He he didn't know any better. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, my parents were just happy that he was helping out at the time. Nice. Yeah, um, and they didn't they didn't think about where he he put the uh, put the snow anyways. Yeah, yeah. Lesson learned, eh? Absolutely. Yeah. Sounds good. So we'll switch gears here a little bit. What was sure. the worst deal you've ever done? What was the plan, and what went right or wrong? Worst deal, the flip I just finished. I got caught in a down market. So uh, yeah, back in in the spring, things were chugging along. Interest rates were low. I bought a house in Fulton Place, which for those who don't know is just south of the river, kind of Capilano area. Good, good neighborhood. So paid 336 for that. They had renters in there, so they had to give them 90 days. I thought strategically I was making a smart move because in my mind, I'm like, oh, you know, we're, we're getting some crazy increases, appreciations taken off. I thought we were just starting down here and it was going to do this and keep increasing. So anyway, I thought, well, they're going to, they need 90 days to get out. I'll have equity when I move in, you know, do the random in three, four months and away we go. And actually when I was about halfway done the random, things were still good. It was like the tail end of summer. And there was one just around the corner that went for 570 and it was similar. I had a corner lot in a single garage. They had a kind of standard lot with a double. But other than that, I thought my reno was nicer. So I thought, oh yeah, this, you know, should be able to list for 550 and get 540. And then as a lot of people know, the wheels fell off and the Bank of Canada kept increasing rates. And yeah, I like a lot of others kind of got, got caught in the middle of it in hindsight, but as long as you win more than you lose, it, it was a tough pill to swallow. Um, I took a 30K hit on that. But in hindsight, you, as long as you're winning more than you're losing, I did a few others earlier in the year and did pretty good on them. So chalk it up as a, as a lesson learned. And for those listening, it's just my my opinion in the, the market we're in currently. I think suites right now are the way to go. Had I have had a suite in that place, I, I would have just rented it out and cash flowed a few hundred bucks and waited the market out until till things got better. But it was a single family home. It was meant for a family and I would have been losing a few hundred bucks a month. And I had I had about 200K tied up in there. So I sold it, took out my 170 and deployed it elsewhere. And uh, still, it didn't discourage me, right? Got to keep moving forward. But I find with suites especially in recessionary periods they're actually in higher demand even before when i was when i was general contracting a lot of my friends are in the trades and you know things would slow down new home building would slow down and our niche market was legal suites and we actually got busier and i find investors are always looking for suites they're always on the prowl 
But when things are tight and people are having issues making the bills, there's actually a lot of homeowners looking for suites, whether, you know, it makes sense. They're going to live in the basement or out upstairs or, or vice versa. They're looking for ways to decrease the stress on bills and, and supplement their income. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think right now suites are, suites are the way to go. Then you got a, a plan A if you can sell it. If you can't rent it out and hold it long-term or do the bird refinance and roll it into the next one. So, yeah, flips, they all look good. Everybody's got their their Facebook videos and HGTV. They can do it in 20 minutes, but it's it's not all it's cracked up to be, that's for sure. Um, you can make good money, but I think you have to be ultra-conservative with your numbers, make sure there's good spread there. I usually, when I'm running the numbers, 50K is kind of my goal. Usually ends up being closer to 35 or 40 because it seems like reno, especially now at the cost of material and labor, we're it's pretty easy to go over and then another thing too is turnkey right i know flips flips are everybody wants their their social media content and look you know look what i'm doing which is great it's good and i know you're you're kind of marketing too so it's understandable but the other thing too i think that's important especially for people first starting out is tracking your expenses because it's it's easy to miss a lot of things i've got a spreadsheet and pretty much every weekend I'll sit down and I'll pull up my bank statements. So I buy everything through the, the corporation, which is nice. I'll pull up my bank statements and my Home Depot card and I'll enter absolutely everything. Every, even if it's like regs, I have to buy at Home Depot or a bit, every little item gets entered and then everything, property taxes, your, your lender fees to your private lender. If you have one, if you're hiring someone for snow removal or lawn maintenance, legal fees, realtor fees, everything, you want to have everything down to a T and it's not even so much for tracking that job. It, it, it's, it's so you have a case study. So you know what your numbers were on the last one, and then you can adjust accordingly and know where you need to be going forward on the next one. So you, you got your spread before you even write an offer, you know, where your numbers need to be. That's, that's key. 100% absolutely love it not tracking what you have done previously to adjust in the future is mm-hmm. one mistake that I, I know many investors have made so mm-hmm. thank you very absolutely. much yeah absolutely hey thank you very much for for giving people a platform because when i'm not on here i'm on the other end on spotify listening and trying to learn and grow like everybody else so i appreciate you having something like this and it's it's cool with like think about the the times we're in where if you have a question or an inquiry, you've got so many different resources, whether it's you got a podcast, you can go on Reddit, you know, post on a forum, YouTube videos, Facebook group. It's just crazy. When I was younger, we had Monopoly and Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That was about it. Which nothing wrong with that, but books are great, but you're kind of limited to whatever's in there, right? It's not like you can just, you have a specific question. You can't reach out to the author and ask it. You have a specific question in general just hit up google or reach out to somebody like yourself or a mentor and get your questions answered pretty quick the internet has changed so much and in investing it especially so yeah it's great it's great to share right it's it's good we're all we're all in it together so help each other out speaking of sharing i know you're first of all you're a big family man with three daughters Mm -hmm. and you're also pretty big into personal finance yeah would you be up for sharing some of the things that you teach your, your kids about finance? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So 
my my daughter so i got a three-year-old a five-year-old year old and the three and five-year-olds they're they're too young to understand right now but what we started doing is is actually you know we'll have whether it's birthdays or christmas family members get them get the money and what we started doing is we we do want them to have you know toys and stuff but in reality you know how it is with kids they're gonna they're gonna get it they're gonna look at it play with it for a couple hours and then it ends up in the bin and on to the next thing so what we do now is we'll half it even when we buy them stuff into a, a registered education savings plan put it away for their school or if they don't use it on school it'll be a down payment for a house or whatever they want and uh the biggest thing with investing there there's a different ways to do it and there's no right or wrong way and you can even do a hybrid like what I do is I do the flips just keep the money rolling in because I enjoy it too and then I'll typically take half of the profit and put it back in the corporation and then the other half I put in my tax-free savings account and buy index funds right I, I just got one VFV it's called it mimics the, the SP 500 the thing with that is it's kind of counterproductive being as we're on a real estate show but doesn't hurt to have options so i max out my tfsa every year and there's a thing called the rule of 72 and it has to do with compounding so what you do is whatever your your anticipated annual rate of return is let's say 10 percent divide 72 and it'll punch out 7.2 so that 7.2 years is the amount of time it's going to take for your money to double and it'll actually it'll blow your mind if you google investment calculator especially if you're young Take your initial starting amount, put in your your term, whether it's 25 years, 35 years. I mean, for me, I want to retire in 25 years, so that's my number. If you're younger, maybe it's 35 or 40. And then put your, your return. So the SP500 averages annual, it's 8 to 10%. And it also pays about a 1% dividend, one and a quarter, I think, on VFV. So anyway, punch that number in, and it'll absolutely blow your mind the number that it spits out at the end. So... Flipping's good, but I think you also have, have to have a long-term game in mind too, because flipping your supplement and your income, it's all good and well, but you got to have a uh, end game in mind too. And it could be other things. Some people like buy and hold real estate, you know, PC in Ontario. Some people are big on pre-construction condos. There's all different tools and ways, but it's good to just look at all your options and figure out what works best for your situation. So getting back to the kids, so yeah, what we do, even another thing with my daughter, it, it, there's this fine line as a parent between, you always hear people say, oh, I want my kids to be better off than I was. But on the flip side, you don't want to spoil them and you want to teach them the value of money. You want to teach them what an asset is and what's a liability and interest rates and all the rest of it because the school system isn't going to teach them. So it's responsibilities on us to, to teach our kids and those around us. So even my, my eldest daughter, she's 12, I said to my wife, when she's older and has her first full-time job i'm i'm gonna tell her work as hard as you can put in as many hours as you can and whatever you can save i'll match it and we'll put that away in you know in your resp or in well when she's 18 a tax-free savings account or whatever we'll invest it just set it forget it and then that way you're you're kind of you're incentivizing your kids without spoiling them they're still putting in the effort and you're helping them along because i think too many people when to get to a certain stage, spoiling the crap out of your kids doesn't teach them anything. There's a reason why 80% of millionaires are, are self-made, right? And most of them come from humble beginnings is 
because you had to be independent, had to work for what you have. And I think the most important thing about just being successful is you got to be motivated and persevere. And that's one of those things you can't really teach. You either have it or you don't. And some have it and some, and some people, no matter how many times you get knocked down, you're going to keep going and going until you, you get what you want. And the world doesn't owe you anything. So if you want something, go out and get it. And it's one of those things where you can't just say, I want to get from the bottom of this mountain to the top or, you know what I mean? It's, it's great to say, if you have a goal, let's say in 10 years, I want my net worth to be a million. Well, that sounds good, but what's more important is the systems you got to put in place and the processes to get there. And you got to have uh, kind of measurable incremental steps and you got to be able to track them too. So, you know, it's great to say, I want to be worth, you know, net worth of a mill. Well, how, what are you going to do? Are you going to do real estate? So that's why with stuff like this podcast and all the other resources and tools at your disposal, you know, educate yourself, figure out what you want to do, make a plan and, and go forward. And there's a book, it, it's called The Compounding Effect. I ordered it on Amazon and I thought it was literally about the compounding of money, but it was actually kind of a self-help, self-improvement book. And it was about compound in your life and just how every day if you're doing the little things right you don't really realize at the time but if you're consistent and you're working hard every day putting a little bit of money aside and just making good decisions and being smart over time it's going to compound and then you'll see the results and it'll pay off tenfold absolutely little habits that make up your life will make up your life so 100 absolutely yeah great advice so what advice would you have for investors in your area who are looking to scale their business? I'd say scale, but, but scale slowly, maybe slowly is not the right word, but, but grow accordingly, I guess, because too many businesses, they, you know, they get a little money drunk and they have a little bit of success and then they go all in and they're, I've seen it with builders I've worked for and all kinds of things is it's all good when times when you, you got to always have kind of a plan B and you got to be able to still keep things under control, right? Even myself, I do some work for an investor out of Ontario, pretty much exclusively the last year and a half. I've been in suites for him and then on my flips on top of it. But even with that, like I used to be able to shell out a suite in three months, start to finish. Now my, my timelines here before I get into real estate were six, seven months, right? Because I'd have four or five, six projects at a time. So there is, you're scaling in a sense, but also your timelines are getting longer. It's harder to manage everybody. It comes with its headaches. So scaling is great, but you almost, you have to grow accordingly and put the right people in place. And that's kind of been a bit of an adjustment period for me to delegating because I'm almost hands-on to a fault sometimes. So there is a difference obviously between working in your business and working on your business. So I think it's good to, every so often take a step back and kind of instead of running around like a chicken with your head cut off from site to site to site take a step back and think about who's doing what you know how you can be more organized maybe it's little things like implementing like a checklist maybe you spend you send a spec sheet to trades right instead of just saying hey here's my blueprints how much to do the electrical you, you put a spec sheet and you say, okay, I want six pot lights here. I want new feeds to the, the kitchen on the main floor for the dishwasher and the over the range microwave counter plugs, fridge plug. You itemize everything, just little stuff. And it doesn't take a lot of time, you know, save it on your computer. And now when you go to get a quote, it just simplifies everything and streamlines everything. So I think it, it's just healthy to take a step back and look at your business every so often and 
and just say, you know, how can I make things more efficient? Instead of always looking externally, you know, and I know there's some things out of your control, whether it's suppliers, windows are on back order. Maybe if you, yeah, I know, right? You're all your eyes are like, oh yeah, windows. I know we've all been there, right? Started on windows. I know, right? It's ridiculous. But one thing you could do is maybe if you're in the process of purchasing a home, when you're doing your due diligence process, you're doing your home inspection, maybe you can get in there and pre-measure all the windows. And then as soon as you close on the deal, you're calling your window supplier and ordering them up. Things like that. Always just trying to improve and and analyze and get better as you go. That's that's what it's all about. I don't know if you know, I know you were at our last meetup over at our St. Albert flip. We actually had the windows in the warehouse waiting for us before we even got the keys. Oh, beautiful. There you go. How'd you pull that off? We ordered the windows and they told us it'd be three to four weeks or sorry, four to five weeks, I should say. So we were after we had confirmation of possession, we ordered them right then and there and we were Mm -hmm. waiting and we were waiting and we actually got delayed possession two, two and a half weeks, almost three. So the windows were waiting for us a week before we even had possession of the house. Nice. Well played. Yeah. The windows are waiting for you instead of you waiting for the windows. eh? Yeah. Gotta love it. Was that a local supplier? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, we'll talk about that supplier off air here, but uh, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We we learned from our our previous deal, so yeah, fair enough. They were also a lot cheaper. Yeah, yeah. I think I know who you're talking about. <laughs> are they are they supply only? Nope, they, they installed too. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I'm thinking of somebody else. There's a local manufacturer here in Edmonton that their turnaround time is pretty quick. They're supply only, so you got to measure them. Send them the specs, order them yourself, and then then away you go and get your own installer. That might be the way to go here as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sounds good. Perfect. So just before we wrap up here, where can people mm-hmm. find out more about you? So you can check me out at w.dustinrealty.ca. You can email me, dustin.racine, that's R-A-C-I-N-E, at exprealty.com. Check me out on Facebook if you want. Just enter my name. And yeah, always here and always down to talk investing in, in real estate and touch base and yeah, help each other out. Sounds good. Well, Dustin, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for having me, Jeremy. Take care. Well, guys, that is our episode with Dustin Racine. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I hope you got to learn something from it as well. If you did learn something, we ask you hit the like button and share the episode so that we can help more people invest safely and confidently in Canadian real estate. Until next time, guys, happy house hunting.